I served as a chaplain for my dorm while I was in college. At the beginning of one semester, I decided to start a dorm Bible study, and we had a great turnout at first. The group was growing, and at the end of each session, I would ask for prayer requests. Eventually, some guys got bold enough to share certain sins with which they were struggling. After a few weeks of sharing the same prayer requests with no change in our lives, I decided to do something different. I asked who really wanted to change. While everyone said that they did, when I started laying out opportunities for accountability with one another, it got real awkward real quick. The next week, the study was down by half. Uh, We all wanted change, but few of us were willing to do the work with one another to see that change happen. If you've gotten tired of spiritual stagnation, it's time to go the second mile with your small group. This is Travis Agnew, and thank you for joining me for the Second Mile Podcast, where we seek to live out the words of Jesus, where he said, if someone asks you to go one mile, go the second mile as well. Don't do just the bare minimum in following Jesus, but go all the way in following him in discipleship. And I can't think of any better way for us to uh, focus in on this 20th episode of the Second Mile Podcast with six helpful tips for small groups. Um, I think all of us, if, if you're listening to this, most likely you have some type of context in the church culture, whether you call it a small group or a Sunday school a gospel group, a discipleship group, a community group, family group, you name it. we got all types of different names for them, and they're, they're all great. But what they serve to do is that when a church grows larger, that you don't get lost in the shuffle. And so if we talk about the first mile, the first mile would be this, that you actually are signed up on a roster and you belong to a group or a class, whatever it is. That's first mile stuff. That's what your church expects you to do. And that's, that's a great first step. Uh, in fact, it's a great first mile for you to go in that you would at least commit to say, I'm not just going to be an attender in worship and a, and a casual attender at that, but I'm actually going to be involved in the life of others and get into a room with a smaller group of people where I can know them and they can know me. Now, that's great. You're on the roster. That's wonderful. And that's first mile stuff. Uh, But the second mile is this, not just being on a roster, but committing to relationships. Well, you're actually seeing this more than a class, but as a group. And one of the hardest things is, is that we are taught, uh, I think, early on so much about church, so much about life, and what we want to do is really just come to a class and someone is going to give us information, and then therefore we are just going to naturally change and transform into who God's always wanted us to be. The reality is this, is that uh, biblical information does not guarantee biblical transformation. The discipleship always requires relationships, a pouring in and listening, but also uh, that Figuring out what Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And so with this, if you can actually transfer your thought of of a small group in your church where it's not just a class that you attend to get information, but it's a smaller group of people to whom you belong so that they know when you're doing well and they know when you're struggling, that they know the successes and the failures of your life. They know the things that that you get excited about, the things that uh, bring you down, and that they're a committed group of people to you. And it's so important for us to each have those things. But So the second mile would be more than just going to a class, committing to a group of people and say, hey, I'm in uh, with you guys no matter what. Um, This Sunday at our church, I really encourage people to get involved in a group, but I ask them very... um, very carefully uh, to say, would you commit to joining one group for one year? Because a lot of times what happens is is that we don't give uh, a church group the amount of time it's required to really develop the relationships that we need. I mean, relationships aren't a microwave where you go in one time and you develop these long-lasting friendships. In fact, most of the relationships that you have in life that are the most enduring, you've probably had for over a decade. And, and so to give someone a sporadic attendance or a couple or three times of exposure with them and expect that you're going to have these lifelong friendships, that's just 
just unrealistic. And so you have to go in there and say, I'm in this for the long game, and uh, and I want to be able to be here for a while. And so what I want to do is uh, maybe you have been like me where you've been a part of some groups that are really, really great, and sometimes there are some that just sort of feel awkward, and it's real quiet and there's not a lot of interaction in when you gather, but also when you scatter. There's just sort of missing uh, elements there. And so what I want to talk to you is about six what I think are uh, helpful tips for your small group, whatever you call it, some six things that you could start implementing that, once again, I think could do this. And some of this is going to relate to the leader and some of this as the follower and, and you name it. But let's look at what these six helpful tips are to create uh, healthy uh, and effective small groups. So as we look at these six um, great healthy practices for small groups, we got to start off right here at the very, I think, one of the most important one, and that is biblical authority. Uh, we need biblical authority in our uh, groups. And, and so what that means this is that God's Word must be our ultimate guide. So I, I know a lot of people who will get very excited about wanting to do a, um, a book study or a Bible study on this person or that person. And I'm just here to say that as a pastor, my responsibility is to protect the flock um, and to feed them good stuff, but also to protect them from harmful things. And just because there's something, a book on the shelf at the Barnes and Noble Christian Living section, does not mean that it's a good book, a biblical book, uh, or even a healthy book. In fact, there's honestly some stuff out there that has the label Christian on it that I think is some of the worst stuff that we could possibly read. It, it doesn't go according to the, the um, pages of the Bible. In fact, it does something very opposite of that. And so you have to be very careful that you're not just throwing something around uh, and just saying, okay, we um, if a church wants to do this study in this group over here, they're going to read this person. And this group over here, they're doing a six-week uh, study in this. You have to be very careful because ultimately you want um, God's Word to be your ultimate guide. Because if the Bible isn't your textbook, if, if you find something else to be your textbook, if it's a curriculum or if it's a Bible study or if it's a book that's made by man, um, if, you, if the Bible isn't your um, primary textbook, you might find temporary encouragement in it, but you're not going to find long-term sanctification. And that's what we're after here more than anything else, right? And so that's not to say that curriculum isn't important. Uh, we use curriculum. We think it's very good, but the curriculum is based on walking through the Bible chronologically and looking through some of the major passages of Scripture, and it gives us helpful commentary. But the textbook ultimately is the Bible. And um, and so what happens is, is that we realize that many books are inspiring, but only one book is inspired. And so that we know that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God and um, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for correction, and even for training in righteousness. Um, and, and so the deal is this. There's a lot of inspiring books that will give you hope and encouragement and give some really killer illustrations that make you feel all types of warm and fuzzies. There's only one book that's inspired by God. And so you want to make sure that you get into that book. And so if you are in that book, one of the things you want to have is that biblical authority in your life. It's not man-made authority or mankind authority or personal authority. And this is where you have to be careful. If the Bible is going to be the authority, you have to really implement what does it mean to truly know what God meant it to mean when you read it. Um, one of the, the easiest practices to do if you're leading a small group, uh, because I was trained this way and maybe you were as well, that a lot of times people will come up and they'll read a passage of Scripture and they'll say, well, what does this mean to you? And uh, someone will say, well, I think it means this. And then the next person says, well, I think it means this. And it, it's something completely different than the last one. And both of those can't be right. I mean, one of them might be. But honestly, we have to make sure if, it, if 
if the Bible is going to be our authority, we're, we're fighting against subjective content that we don't need to hear what the Bible means to you. We don't need to hear what the Bible means to me. We need to know what the Bible means to God. So ultimately, number one, you need to make sure that your small group is built on the biblical authority and not just on man-made uh, traditions and content. Uh, here, here's the second helpful tip for your small group, and that is making sure you have leadership maturity. Um, so this really has to do with, once again, those leaders that are pouring in and, and uh, challenging these groups. But this is so important for us because I believe that group members will rarely grow beyond the spiritual example of the leader. And so if you have an immature leader, someone who's not really following after the Lord, uh, then that's going to be kind of the, the leadership and the spiritual ceiling that people are just going to hit themselves up against. They're never really going to move past it. Uh, and, and so I, I believe that if groups tend to reflect the dynamic of an individual leader, we need to ensure that the quality of each leader, that it, it's a good leader, that it's someone who's growing and, and who loves the Lord. In fact, James chapter 3, verse 1 says, many of you shouldn't uh, aspire to be a teacher because you're going to have a, a stricter judgment, uh, which is a really scary thing to say. First Timothy 4.16, he says, keep a watch on your teaching because not only will you save yourself, but also your hearers, which just shows the, the level of accountability that a leader needs to have. If you take up the mantle of, I'm a small group leader, that you need to be um, someone who is mature. And, and you may say, well, goodness gracious, well, who who could do all that? Nobody's perfect. And I would say, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, we will never have leaders who are perfect, but we should have leaders that are making progress. And so there's there's a big difference there. Um, in fact, if your leader is saying they're perfect, you probably need to run for your life. Uh, but if it, it, obviously, this is someone who's maybe not perfect, but they are making progress. They, they realize what the goal is. They realize what spiritual maturity looks like, what sanctification looks like. And they're spending their life and, and running their wills, kind of spending their wills to make sure that they are making progress. And so you should be able to look at their life over the last year and say, you know what? They're not all the way there, but they sure are getting there. Uh, they're, they're growing. They're maturing. Uh, because the greatest lesson a teacher will ever provide is his or her consistent example. And so uh, a healthy group is really going to be built on having a healthy, godly teacher who is making progress and growing. And so those first two items, uh, having biblical authority and leadership maturity, are so important. All right, let's look at a couple more uh, helpful practices for your small group. We first looked at biblical authority. Uh, number two is leadership maturity. Now let's number three is this. It's safe authenticity, uh, that you have the opportunity to be safe and authentic with a group of people. And honestly, that scares a lot of us because we have been burned. We have been talked about. We have been gossiped about. And what you thought was safe obviously was not. And, and so, but here, here's the thing. You've been hurt. I've been hurt. We all have trust issues. That just sort of comes with the nature of dealing with people. But if you maintain relational defenses all of your life, you will never know or be known by others. It's going to keep you at somewhat at arm's length. You're stiff arming everybody because you've been hurt before, but you're never going to really have those deep relationships that honestly you need. You need more than content. You need people that are walking alongside you. And so you've got to make sure that you have these relationships, that groups should be safe places to share the successes and the struggles of life, that you need to be able to make sure that you have the opportunity to be safe, uh, authentic with a group of people, and they, they also have the privilege and uh, the trust that they can be authentic with you. 
And one thing that just can kill uh, just that authenticity that a group is needed is flippant involvement. I mean, if you're just here, there every so often, and then all of a sudden you come in, a lot of times I'll see uh, groups that seem to be making some traction and feel like they're starting to trust one another. And then people sort of come in and come out and back and forth, and it just it, it just really hurts the dynamic of the group. You also have these momentary additions where someone who comes in and tries something out or is going to be here like one week or two weeks and then they're out again, it really stifles the growth among the relationships of the group. So you have to be very careful. You want to be authentic, want to have the freedom to do that, but that takes time, that takes trust. And so if you continue to change that and just people coming and going, you want to be someone who's reliable and consistent. And so you want to have the ability to say, um, you don't want to just be all churchy and say everything's fine. You want to be able to be free enough to say, hey, I'm struggling, I'm hurting here, uh, I need some people that can pour into me. And so that's important for you to find that and that you need to do that. But also realize this. Um, some people uh, don't have a problem with the authentic aspect. It's that they're too authentic. They're too real. They're too open. And honestly, sometimes I think all of us have been in a group where that one person talked too much. And if you monopolize the conversation, you will hinder others from the ability to share. Uh, so if, if you're wondering um, that, you know, I felt like I talked a lot tonight, it's probably because you did. You want to make sure that there's people, everybody in the group has the same amount of opportunity to talk. And so a lot of times, maybe you being authentic, there's a there's a really healthy level there. And a lot of times I'll see people um, give a testimony or something in my life, and someone will give me a testimony, and then they start going into gory details. And I go, you know what? You can give God the glory, and you don't have to get into all those weeds there. Like, stay out of the filth, right? And so in the same way, you want to make sure that you are creating an atmosphere that someone can be safe and authentic. And to do that, you got to make sure you don't monopolize the time. So number three is safe authenticity. The fourth uh, great tip for a small group is to have careful accountability is that you want uh, to realize that uh, we need to be held accountable. And once again, that was kind of the example that made a lot of guys in my group want to run uh, because they just want to hear information and they want somebody to say, hey, I've struggled in the same area for seven weeks in a row and will y'all just pray for me and make me feel better that y'all struggle in the same way. But at some point we have to say that that's not enough. Like if we focus on just obtaining biblical information over experiencing biblical transformation, we're missing the point. The goal is to, to follow the Lord and to kill sin and to pursue holiness. Like That's the goal. And, and so discipleship's not about leaving people where they are. We want to see you grow. We want to see you move. It's that there's a progress taking place. And so as we provide careful accountability for one another, one of the things that you're doing is, is that you're committing to becoming spiritual guardrails in the lives of other members. If you've ever had that moment like I did one day when uh, I um, hydroplane on the interstate and was about to go on to oncoming traffic on the other side of the interstate and guardrails stopped me right there in the middle of the median. And I was thankful for even the bruises and the bumps that came upon that because when I rammed into that, uh, it saved me from something much worse. And when you have careful accountability in the lives of a small group, what you're doing is you're providing spiritual guardrails uh, with the lives of other people. And so they might slam up against you and it might be a painful impact. But it is much better uh, than you continuing on in sin and coming on to oncoming traffic, which is a lot worse. And so the goal of accountability, it sounds really scary, like, oh, someone's going to point out all my flaws. Now, listen, we're, we're all taking out the log out of our own eyes 
so that we can see the speck in someone else's. But the deal is this, the goal is ultimately not to point out sin, but it's to train how to avoid sin. That's the goal. And so we want to help someone say, hey, if you're struggling in this, you don't have to struggle by yourself. We can come alongside you. And Galatians 6.1 says that for those that are spiritual, you need to restore someone with a spirit of gentleness. And that is so important to have. When I say careful accountability, you're not coming in both guns blazing, just ready to blow up anybody who messes up in any type of area the first time. You're wanting to be careful about this. And if you're seeing someone struggle and the tension's there and they are fighting, even if they're not winning all the battles, that means they're making progress. A lot of times I think we put fake timelines on each other when we expect that someone else should be able to be done with their sin, when in reality, it takes a while. So we need to have careful accountability with one or one another if we're going to continue to grow in Christ. All right, so far we have looked at four helpful tips for small groups. Uh, one is biblical authority. Two is leadership maturity. Three was safe authenticity. And four was careful accountability. Now let me round up the last two. Here's number five. Uh, intentional availability. And and so this is important because you want to be available, accessible for group members. Um, and you go, okay, so that means attendance. Yes, that does mean attendance. But what I'm talking about here is not having a half-hearted commitment where you only come to the group, but that you're actually intentional and available once that group is is not not meeting. And because if you limit your group to a class, you'll only get what a class can offer. So if you go in and say, this is a class, I'm going to hear from a teacher, I'm going to get my notes, I'm going to walk out, and I'm a better Christian, you're going, well, when the class is over, that's it. But you're not after a class, you're after a group, you're after what the church is supposed to provide, this, this authentic group of relationships, a group of disciples that are trying to sharpen one another, like Proverbs 27, 17. And, and so to be available, to be intentional, means that you would say, Okay, even if we meet, like uh, my group meets on Wednesday nights, uh, if that group meets on Wednesday night, the reality is this. Thursday morning's going to hit or, or Monday evening's going to hit. Something's going to happen. And, and the real the realization is, is that a lot of times, some of life's hardest times, uh, they, they rarely happen when you're at church, when you're gathered together with a group. In fact, a lot of times, the times that we're going to be attacked is when Satan's going to find us isolated. I mean, the most challenging moments in your life will most likely happen outside the time your group meets. Uh, I doubt for whatever time you meet is when it's really going to get hard. It's going to become difficult when you're away from them and when life hits and when a surprise comes and and you get a sudden phone call that changes everything. And so you want to be intentional and available with other people. Uh, I always say that the most healthy groups are available for 168 hours per week rather than just assembling for one hour per week. So so with that, you say, you know what? If something happens, you don't have to say, well, we'll talk about it next week. Somebody may need to go and, and talk to that person now or go get coffee with that person now or go sit by them uh, as their life is really just crumbling. You want to be intentional. You want to be available. And so with that, obviously, yes, you want to be available at that group meeting time. And so whether you meet on Wednesday night or Sunday morning or Tuesday night or you name it, if you're in a church building or if you're in a house, regardless of where you are, when you have that time on the calendar, make it a priority. But think of that scheduled group time, right? That weekly reoccurring time. Think of your scheduled group time to serve as a catalyst for intentional interaction during the rest of the week. So that means is this, is that you you are there together. You're going to meet and gather together because you're not going to forsake assembling together, as is the habit of some, um, like Hebrews 10.25 tells us. And so you want to make sure you're, you're meeting together. But when someone shares a prayer request, it's just not information or just like share time. 
That means they actually want you to pray for it. So like if, if you met on a Sunday, then maybe you want to follow up on Monday and say, hey, I prayed for that uh, this morning. You said it was going to happen at 10 o'clock. How did that go? And that shows, hey, I'm, I'm with you. You're not alone in this. You're, you don't have to see me next week. Like I'm a part of this. We're a family now. First um, Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says it this way. He says that um, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased not only to impart the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you became very dear to us. And I think that's a beautiful thing about as we grow in the gospel and as a church is that it's not just sharing the gospel with one another and sharing biblical information, but you're sharing your lives with one another and that we're saying, you know what, we need each other. We need to continue to encourage one another. Galatians 6.10 says it this way, so then while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Um, so make sure you're intentional and available. And then the sixth uh, element that you really need to have to make sure that your small group is going well is eager reproducibility. Um, eager reproducibility. That means this, that you are excited and eager for your group to grow and one day multiply. That's right, like split right down the half. And I mean, it hurts and you mourn about it because you love the group that you got together and oh, we're just starting to gel. And oh man, I'm going to miss seeing these people. And look, you can figure out a way to do that. But a lot of times what happens is that we can get a group that can be so inward focused or sort of cap off at a number or want to continue to, that it gets so big that you can no longer meet the needs of everybody in it. So your group needs to start and end with the idea that there's an eager reproducibility about this that we want to be able to know that we, we could possibly one day multiply this, that maybe we would grow to a certain amount uh, and, and that we would need to split in half. And, uh, and, and split sounds bad, so don't you split, say multiply, right? Or instead of one, we're going to have two right now. And, and here's the thing that I know a lot of people go, oh, goodness, but I, I don't want to. We, we love the size of this. And, okay, what, what number do you need to split? And that's always a hard question to, to answer, honestly. But here's what I do realize. Jesus chose 12 disciples, and one of them didn't make it. And so once you get past that number, honestly, it's hard for me to really keep up with 12 people on a very intentional basis. Um, beyond 12, it just gets very, very difficult to do. And if Jesus did it with 12 and one of them didn't make it, it's kind of prideful for me to assume that I could do better than him. Right, and, and and so here's the deal: is that you you want as the group gets larger, there's some type of way, and maybe you, you find a care system where okay, our group is now at 15, and we've got um, five groups of three or something that are accountability groups, and we're checking in on each other. That's fine if you have a system, but make sure you have a system because if you're not careful, you'll develop these kind of clicked mentality, right? That you have these religious clicks, and they damage many people's spiritual conditions because someone's trying to get in to a group and to find those relationships. But there's not the space. There's not the space because you continue to grow with people who are like you. And honestly, we each gravitate towards those who welcome us the most. And oftentimes, church can be a place of exclusion rather than acceptance. We want to provide opportunities for other people to get involved. So you have to think it's not just about us having high attendance a day for our group, but it's when is the point where we're so uh, healthy and growing that we can multiply this. And so I think it's great that we know addition grows a group, but multiplication grows a kingdom. And so you want to make sure that you're growing a kingdom and having an eager reproducibility ment mentality. So you, you do bring people along with you. Yeah, you can bring people who are saved. You can bring people who are lost into your group. But you always want to have the mentality at some point, we're not just going to see how many people we can get in this room, but we want to see how many groups can be birthed out of this group so we can continue to make disciples who make disciples. So if you want to have a healthy group, let me just tell you that those are six things to really consider about do you have that in your group? Do you have biblical authority? Do you have leadership maturity, safe authenticity, careful accountability, um, intentional availability, and eager reproducibility? 
All six of those things are important. And so you want to be able to say, I was present when someone was going through so much a hard time, they didn't have to be on their own. We never know when those hard moments are gonna come alongside us. And so we need to surround ourselves with those people who can help us grow in Christ even when times are difficult. I hope as you focus on discipleship that you'll continue to make groups an important aspect of doing things biblically. I hope to see you on the second level.